We used to apprehend drugs in grams. Now, we apprehend drugs in pounds. And there is enough fentanyl in this country that would kill us all. America is emerging from a government showdown, a writer's strike, and a lot of questions about the future. Today, we hear from United States Senator Marsha Blackburn. As the first woman ever elected to the U.S. Senate from Tennessee, Blackburn has fought for tax relief, a secure border, more opportunities for women, and more protections for children. And as the author of the popular book, The Mind of a Conservative Woman, Marsha Blackburn is now showing the world just what that means. From Ballard Studios in Washington, D.C., it's 13th and Park. We give you information, not a panic attack. We look what's going on. I mean, my God. This was it. My kids were gonna die. That time is gone forever. This is the biggest story in America. We weren't prepared for this. Don't you want to speak truth to power? Toughest thing I ever had to do. Senator, so nice to have you on the show. So much to talk about. Justin, take it away. You've authored a bill with Senator Blumenthal regarding kids' safety online. How can we protect children and privacy in the new age of social media that so many parents are and others are grappling with right now? Yeah. And first of all, let me say thank you for having me join you today. And one of the things that Senator Blumenthal and I realized in 2019, when I led the Judiciary Committee's Tech Task Force, was that there was a lot of concern coming from parents. So in 2020, when he was chair and I was the top Republican on the Commerce Committee, we said, let's look a little bit more at what is happening, not only with privacy in general, but specifically what happens to kids. And as we started those hearings, the very first hearing we did, and we did five, you would not believe the number of parents that started to weigh in and say, can I tell you my story? Mm -hmm. And I heard from Tennesseans, Tennessee parents from every corner of the state, as well as hearing from moms all across the country who would call and maybe their child had met a drug dealer or a pedophile. Maybe their child was cyberbullied. Their child could have ended up in the hospital and some of them, and it's heartbreaking to think, but their child committed suicide. So as we worked with all of these parents, we thought there has to be a responsibility placed on social media to make certain kids are not being exposed to things on social media, that we have laws against that exposure in the physical world. You can't expose children to pornography or to drugs. You can't take them into a bar. There are things you cannot do. So as we looked at the this problem set and said, our goal is to protect our children. And how do we need to do that with social media? So what we did was to put that burden on them to have safety by design, and they would have to have a duty of care and have to open those black box algorithms so that you've got third-party research that could be done on that. They have to go through an audit every single year. And 
you have to give the ability to set those standards and block some of those algorithms and things that kids or their parents may decide are not appropriate. Plus, you have to have a portal where teachers and parents and kids can report videos or individuals that are pushing self-harm, that are pushing illegal activity, that are pushing cyberbullying, and the social media platform is required to get back to that parent, to take that action within a designated period of time. And this is why you've got 45 senators that support the Kids Online Safety Act and why you have over 200 organizations that support this legislation. I'm surprised that it's not 100 senators, frankly, because and yeah. first of all, I applaud the fact that we talk about the lack of bipartisanship. You did this together with Senator Blumenthal, Democrat. In the same fashion, you're working with Senator John Ossoff from Georgia to try to find a way to get the FBI to catch up on one of the greatest scourges that also affect the safety of children. That's child abuse, where there are over half a million cases a year in America. How is that going? Well, we are making this an issue at the Judiciary Committee's Human Rights Subcommittee. And what we have found is when you have children that are in DCS custody, this becomes an issue. And wanting to make certain that the FBI is following up on these reports and that these pedophiles or child abusers are being charged and tried and convicted. And this is important to do to protect the most vulnerable among us. And we're continuing to focus on this issue, the welfare of children that are in state or federal custody. And in addition to that work, I have written Secretary Javier Becerra because at a finance committee hearing back in the spring, I asked him about the report of 85,000 migrant children that they could not find. And he could not answer the question, said he wasn't familiar with the issue, said he didn't know anything about that number of children that uh, the New York Times had reported had been lost by HHS. So we wrote and asked again and laid out what we knew. They could not find them after 30 days. And we were just appalled that you had 85,000 children. They did not know if they were dead or alive, if they were in labor gangs or sex trafficking rings. And subsequently, the New York Times reported they had found some of the children working in meat processing plants. And I got no response to the first letter. So you know what? I wrote him again. We're not going to let them off the hook. Good for you. These are 85,000 children that have come to our border unaccompanied, they are minors. They have been placed with sponsors and they cannot find them. The immigration issue, you focused on the 85,000 children, which is unthinkable. But recently, the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol apprehended 9,000, almost 9,000, 8,900 people in one day at the southern border. That's almost a quarter of a million people that they're catching at the border. What is the solution to the problem and why can't Washington solve the problem of fixing our border? 
we know that this administration's border policy, their intentional actions on a border policy are to have the border wide open. We also know that DHS Secretary Mayorkas went to the wrong address recently. <laughs> uh, he did not go to Eagle Pass, where <laughs> you've got that as many as 11,000 people coming across that border. He went over to McAllen and said, well, it's not so bad and our policy is working. But you can look at any of the footage, and indeed it is not. You have some of the Democrats who are beginning to say, you've got to secure this border. Primarily, they're Democrats that live or represent areas right along that border. And we hope that more of them will agree with us. And we are hopeful that we're going to see some money in the CR to secure that southern border, which absolutely needs to be done. Look, the Border Patrol for 30 years, they have said, what we need is a physical barrier, we need better technology, and we need more officers and agents. If you ask them, they will say, put that wall up right now, mm -hmm. right. because it helps us. It gives fewer entry points. It allows us to protect this country. And right now, under Joe Biden, we have had 7.6 million people illegally cross that border. That is a population equal to the population of the state of Tennessee. <laughs> now, in that number of 7.6 million, you've got about a million of that number that are considered gotaways. They could see them right. on surveillance. They could not catch them. Your known and unknown gotaways, these are the people that are bringing pounds of fentanyl, 2,700 pounds apprehended so far at the southern border. They're bringing fentanyl. You have terrorists. You have known criminals. These are not people that wish us well. It has turned every state into a border state. It has turned every town into a border town. And right now, Joe Biden needs to go after the Chinese Communist Party because they're the ones that are sending these precursor chemicals for fentanyl to labs in Mexico. And then the labs, Chinese manned labs, create this fentanyl and the cartels distribute the fentanyl and it is killing the American people. It killed 100,000 last year. It killed nearly 4,000 Tennesseans. And this is out of control. Right now, I had a sheriff in Tennessee tell me, he said, Marsha, we used to apprehend drugs in grams. Now, we apprehend drugs in pounds. And just about everything we apprehend, it is laced with fentanyl, whether it's a gummy bear, a pressed pill, marijuana, fentanyl is in all of it. And yes, indeed, one pill will kill you. Residue, it will kill you. And there is enough fentanyl in this country that would kill us all. And it is why we have to make certain that we secure that border. It is why we have to make certain kids are not meeting these drug dealers online. The DEA told us 30% of the drug drug deaths, they have met the drug dealer online. We can do something about this, and it is imperative 
that this administration work with us and that the Democrats work with us to secure that southern border. You authored The Mind of a Conservative Woman. You were the first woman ever elected to the United States Senate from Tennessee. Is there a message you have for the next generation of women leaders in America that gives them confidence and and faith that tomorrow is going to be a little bit better than yesterday? Our nation needs leaders. And, uh, you know, it's important for women to realize it. their voices need to be heard. They need to speak up and they need to be talking to their friends. We all want to make certain that this country, the greatest country on the face of the earth, the greatest country ever, that we preserve our faith, family, freedom, hope, and opportunity. We should be about opening doors of opportunity for all of our citizens. We should encourage all of our citizens to use their gifting and their talents to achieve their version of the American dream. That is how we keep this country strong and prosperous and free. We should take this interview as a PSA for America, not only to fight against, but to fight for. Thank you so much for your time. You got it. Go get them. Thank you. Justin, as I said to the senator at the end of that interview, it's like a PSA she was offering. It's a 15-minute PSA on all sorts of things. That was very impressive. Yeah, it was very impressive. And, you know, there's a lot of people that read the news and watch the news about all the crazy things that are happening in Washington, all the chaos and infighting and partisan bickering. But, you know, we talked to her about two pieces of legislation that she's sponsoring with Democrats, with Democrat Senator Blumenthal, with Democrat Senator Ossoff. And that's the thing that really most Americans don't hear about. They don't hear about the bipartisanship that goes on in Washington. And she's as conservative as they come. Uh, She's a conservative senator from the state of Tennessee, and here she's partnering with Democrats. So I'm glad that we got a chance to learn a little bit more about those untold stories that we don't really hear that much about. Well, you know, she's also been doing yeoman's work on educating America about AI and AI technology and the threat of AI technology, especially wielded by the People's Republic of China, Mm -hmm. right? That, you know, they're clearly using it to compete and ultimately possibly to dominate uh, the world. Uh, How important is that today that we get at that issue like no one's business. Well, it's important, very important. The problem is, is that uh, in my experience, technology usually uh, is way ahead of government's ability to properly address it. But this one is a national security issue because with artificial intelligence, the vast amount of data that that China, the People's Republic of China has, gives them an inherent natural advantage. So it's something that uh, I'm glad that she's taking a leadership position on that, and she's trying to make sure that that playing field is level or that we don't allow China to have a competitive advantage over us on that. Well, I wish we had a few more minutes with her to talk about, you know, she used to be head of the Tennessee Entertainment Film and Music Commission, and she has been a big supporter in the past of performers' rights. Mm-hmm. And you have this whole writer's strike that was finally settled. The actors are still out. The entertainment industry is in total flux. At some point next time, hopefully we can get at that with her. Hopefully we can. And anyone who's been to Nashville knows how strong the music culture is there and how big a part of Americana that is. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of interest on her part 
part in protecting that what they call intellectual property that's created by those songwriters, those amazing songwriters. But the other issue that she talked about, too, is I'd like to know what your thoughts are, because you asked her the question about the um, protecting children. And uh, she really seems very passionate about that, especially with regard to the 85,000 children that uh, DHS doesn't really know what happened to them. You can tell, too, Justin, right, the difference between rhetoric and passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's very, very well-spoken, as many people are on Capitol Hill, but you could feel the heart behind those words. I mean, she's really after this. But the other question I wish we had gotten to, which we were talking about before the show, was the new dress code in the United States Senate, right? Where Senate Majority Leader Schumer has kind of changed his tune a little bit after one of the senators, a certain unnamed senator from Pennsylvania, knew, was pretty much using his own dress code coming onto the floor. What yeah, do you think and there was such a backlash from what uh, Majority Leader Schumer did about loosening those dress code requirements that the Senate has now addressed it and passed a resolution to require men to wear jackets and ties and long pants while on the Senate floor. So I think that that's something that everyone can support. I don't think there's anyone that uh, that opposed it. It was bipartisan in nature, Republicans and Democrats. And it's important to keep a certain level of decorum and respect because it's really about respect for the American people and the work that's being done there in the U.S. Senate. So flip-flops and Crocs are out. Out. Dress shoes are in. And we're getting back to business as normal. All right, well, Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman will have to start wearing a suit to work, some of the time at least. This after the Senate voted to reverse an informal guidance on dress code issued by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer last week. Though we've never had an official dress code, the events over the past week have made us all feel as though formalizing it is the right way forward. Remember to subscribe today and hit the bell so you never miss another episode of the show with that trademark opener, From Washington, D.C., it's 13th and Park.